Please remain standing with me and turning your Bibles to the book of Jude. You can find Jude easily by going to the last book of the Bible and turning back a few pages. Jude, you can easily skip over it. Jude is just one chapter, 25 verses long. If you're uh, new uh, to Christianity, we've printed the text for you on page 11 of your worship guide. You can also find it in page 1027 of that pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those Bibles, those pew Bibles with you. We would love for you to have God's Word in your hands. Jude chapter 1, starting with verse 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwellings, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But... When the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all they like. Like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden wreaths at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees and laid on them, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also these, about these, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. You may be seated. Would you pray with me and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, come and do a work. Open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. Make our hearts receptive, our ears open to what your spirit would teach us today. Help us to understand your word for it is life-giving, Lord Jesus. So we pray this because we need your help and because you are the one who has all power and authority in your name. Amen. Well, Jane uh, Dinscore uh, li was living in 
San Antonio when she found two stray cats by the road. She loved animals. And so she rescued them and brought these two little kittens into her house where she began to nurse them back to health. So she, just two little kittens without their mother, decided they needed a little milk. So she put milk in a bottle and started feeding these two little kittens who then aggressively destroyed the feeding bottles with furious frenzy. Dinscore realized after watching these two sweet little kittens destroy a bottle that she maybe had read the situation a little bit wrong and so she called the local animal control service where they confirmed for her that her sweet little kittens were two bobcats that she had picked up from the wild. See, when they're little, they look alike, but when they are full grown, the difference is deadly. This is what Jude is warning us against. Don't take bobcats of false teachers into the church. They're trying to creep into our house. They may seem innocent and cute at first, but false teaching, teaching that differs from what God has in his word, teaching that subtly distorts the gospel when fully grown will eat God's people alive. But it's really not popular to speak that way. Here's the reality. Christianity is built on truth, objective, understandable, and revealed truth. Jesus himself built his mission on God's word. He had his understanding of what he was to do built on God's objective, understandable, and revealed word. You're a follower of Jesus. It means you build on what he built on. You take what he takes. Jesus fought the Pharisees on their wrong understanding of God's right word. When asked what his food was, he said, my food is to do the will of my Father. It is the most essential thing that I do. I need to feed on this. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The kingdom of God is built, strengthened, sent out into the world to make a visible, lasting difference on the authoritative, objective, understandable, revealed truth of God contained in his word. It, we've got to fight for it because it is able to strengthen, make dead people alive spiritually. It is able to sanctify us, encourage us, grow us, give us joy. And now here's the thing. Only when God's word, his true word, is truthfully understood is its full power unleashed into the world. Paul, the apostle, wrote most of the New Testament for us. It's very clear. If anyone comes with a different gospel, even if it is an angel from heaven, it's going to be accursed. It's calling down God's wrath on such an individual. If anyone differs from God's word, 
But the prevailing thought, it's not popular to talk this way, but the prevailing thought often goes like this. Doctrine isn't important. We shouldn't be fighting about this. There are so many lost people out there. We shouldn't, we shouldn't argue about doctrine. Don't let it divide us. There's, we need to practice unity. The world needs to see Christians united. Or it's not really important what you believe. It's only important what you're doing to make a difference in this world. And here's the thing. There's some truth to all of those. You can't let every truth rise to the level of division. Christians can disagree about things like millennial position or baptism and still have fellowship with each other. But you put the gospel aside for the sake of unity and there will you will rally around something besides Jesus Christ. And that's idolatry. There's plenty of Christians on the flip side, and this needs to be said, who have right doctrine and wrong practice. They're like walking around with like big heads and no heart and these shriveled up hands because they don't do anything with it. That's bad too. We'll see that in a second because... This gospel that gives us life, Jude says, contend for it. Because the glory of Jesus is at stake. Because the gospel tells us, because God's word tells us who Jesus is, what he has done. And when the gospel is wrong, people will end up with the wrong Jesus. And so this section of Jude... Jude is reminding us that there's a whole lot at stake here because God cares about what is taught about him. Now, can we just agree for a second that this is a really weird passage? It's a really difficult section of the New Testament. Even as I was reading it again just now, I was just struck again just how bizarre this section is is and it's it's difficult for three reasons it's really dense and Jude quotes some really obscure Jewish writers and then thirdly it's hard because it's really heavy on the theme of judgment and it's just not like what we like to hear but here's God saying look I care about what's what's taught about me Jude's saying God cares Judgment is at stake with false teachers. So for, let's look what's at stake because because I think we like to treat our ideas like they're our little pets, like they're these fluffy little innocuous things. And, and Jude's saying, no, let me open your eyes and help you see that what is at stake is the judgment of God. These are essential things. And so he wants us to see the end of the false teachers. God will judge them. And Jude is sounding an alarm in this passage to the church that he's writing to. He's sounding an alarm. He's like a doctor sitting someone down and saying, look, it, you think you came to me because you think you have, a, you have a mild stomach ache and a little acid reflux. But I'm telling you, the problem is that you've got cancer and it's going to kill you. He's sounding the alarm. These false teachers are not innocent. They don't just mean well and, and have a few things wrong. Let me take us into this section. 
first, and this is some dense stuff, so hang in there with me. First, Jude is playing around throughout all of his letter with the word keep. The Greek word, tyreo, is sometimes translated throughout this as keep, sometimes translated as words for uh, reserved. For instance, in verse 3, he introduces us to who a Christian is. It's someone who's been called by God, beloved by the Father, and by the Spirit is being kept for Christ Jesus. That's his first introduction to the Greek word tyreo. Likewise, in verse 6, the angels who sinned did not stay, same Greek word, were then kept, same Greek word, in eternal chains. The false prophets have a judgment that from God is being reserved, kept. They're being kept in this place. Therefore, in verse 21, he then switches gears and reminds us that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Here's what he's doing. He's drawing lines. He's drawing lines that says there's inside and outside. And outside is God's judgment. Inside is God's love. So keep yourself inside in the love of God where God loves his people because of Christ Jesus. And don't go outside where the false teachers are being kept by God. And then from Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So three examples of God's judging those who did not keep themselves within the proper boundaries. And then the second section, and starting with verse 11, he strings together three other examples of God's judgment and pronounces woe on them. That's an Old Testament form of a curse. Woe for them. For they walked and he strings them together the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. We're going to circle back around to verse 11 in just a second and see why he's calling down curses on this false teacher. And then the third section where he's highlighting the judgment of God this time he goes to non-biblical Jewish literature, a book called First Enoch. He's not saying this is God's word. He's just saying, look, Enoch, Enoch was speaking, and he said he prophesied, which means he said something true, so let me quote what he said is true. Now it becomes God's word when Jude quotes it. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Why is he stringing these things together? He's telling the church, God cares about his word and he will measure right and wrong by his word and he will hold his word up as the standard against which all teaching will be judged right and wrong, and he will judge those who speak something besides 
his word. Why? Well, he cares. He cares about his own reputation. He cares about righteousness. And he cares about people. And he doesn't like to see people being destroyed by false teaching. It provokes his anger. It blasphemes his name. It drags his reputation through the mud. And people, as we will see, will get led astray and destroyed by such. And so it provokes his anger. That's why you see in Revelation, a vision of Jesus. and, And he's coming out and he's got a sword in his mouth. He's ready to do battle. A sword for judgment coming out of his mouth because it's his word likewise James warns us that not it sends chills down my spine every time I read it not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that what that that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness God in his righteousness cares about his people and will protect them Because gospel truth leads to life. And false teaching, as we will see, leads to destruction. Utter destruction. And so God will destroy false teachers and his judgment. So next, let's look at the lies. That's what's at stake here. What's at stake here is the righteous vindication of God, the judge of all the earth. Just a, you know, small thing. Next, let's look at the lies of the false teachers. It's unclear exactly what they were teaching. And by the way, most of the letters that we have in the New Testament are the writers in the New Testament, the apostles contending for the faith. His false teachers had crept into the church and was slightly, just slightly trying to take it. And they're fighting for this. Well, that's why Jude is writing as well. If there's no contending for the faith, we don't have much of the New Testament. There's no doctrinal lines being drawn. We don't have much of the clear understanding of the truth of God's Word. And so here's, here's where their lies were leaving. They are obviously, because of his heavy emphasis on the judgment of God, they were, they were obviously denying that God is righteous and will judge the earth. And so he's saying, look, look at all these examples where he has done that exact same thing. But also because they had denied the righteous judgment of God, they were leading his people into licentious living. You might hear it today as something like this. It's, it's all of grace. God doesn't care how you live. Denial, no calling to a life of holiness or something like this. We live in an age of grace and the Ten Commandments just don't apply to us today. Except for how often Jesus quoted from the Ten Commandments and when Paul quotes directly from it in Ephesians chapter 5. Where God accepts you as you are, He doesn't doesn't call you to change. These are half-truths masquerading as whole-truths. And when a half-truth masquerades as a whole truth, they're lies. And this is at the heart of what the false teachers were doing. They were denying, they were rejecting the sufficiency of God's Word. The whole of what God teaches. Both the 
hard things and the sweet things. It's easy to go after the sweet thing. God takes you as you are. But he resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. He won't leave you as you are. He's going to push back against some things in your life. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're clothed in his righteousness. You're also a new creation and should live the way he commands. It's easy to take some of the easy things, the sweet things, and and leave out the hard things. And this is what the false teachers were doing. They were rejecting the sufficiency of God's word. It's a subtle distinction. In essence, they were saying, look, God's word is not enough. And it shows up in a few different ways. In, in verse 3, Jews says that the faith was once delivered to all the saints. And by this time, as I had said last week, uh, the, the church had most of the New Testament at their disposal. And Jude is saying, look, that's enough. What God has said in his word is what you need to build your life on. No other gospel truths that need to come along. And yet these false teachers were relying on their dreams. Denying the judgment of God. They were adding to it. Secondly, they false teachers. Thirdly, sorry, secondly, the false teachers were relying. They were rejecting the authority, the sufficiency of God's word. They were relying on their dreams. Thirdly, Jude is addressing this obscure reference to the angel Michael, contending with the devil about Moses' body. It's obscure because we don't have any record of it in the Bible. The story was part of Jewish folklore, and what Jude is doing is he's borrowing from that story that would have been familiar with them to help them make a point about what the Bible's teaching. Well, in that story, this is what happens. Michael, the archangel, he says wouldn't take to himself the authorities arguing with the devil. Okay, can we just say the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it's just a different world. It's just weird at times, which means for me, that is clear indication that it's God's word because it's challenging my assumptions about reality. It's constantly teaching me. And so there's this story of of Michael arguing with the devil about Moses's body. And Jude borrows that and says, look, here's the point. You know that story, not in the Bible, but you're familiar with the story. And here's what's going on. Michael would not speak on his own authority. He wouldn't take that to himself. He would only speak what the Lord says. And so in that instance, he says, the Lord rebuke you. God speaks and when he speaks he speaks with authority and I don't speak for myself I only speak what the Lord says this is at the heart the sort of subtle twisting of denying the sufficiency the clarity of God's word is the devil's strategy when he sits down with Eve and lures her into a discussion He just subtly says, did God really say? And then he follows it up. He didn't really mean that, did he? He didn't really mean what he clearly said. 
And so this is what Jude does. He appeals to them. Return back to God's all-sufficient word. Verse 5. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, and he draws them back into God's word. It's all that you need. It's sufficient. There's some weird stuff in the Bible. It's not a tame book. I've said it a few times, and this is, this is Jude kind of going all out and it, it not being tame and being weird. And one of those weird instances is his reference in verse 6 to an incident from Genesis 6. The angels who did not stay within their own positions of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And here's the point he's making. When you reject God's word and you reject God's authority, you go off the rails and you begin to do some really crazy stuff. And so he illustrates this from Genesis chapter 6. In the Genesis chapter 6, the story of angels come down to earth. They take on human form and then buckle in they have sex with women I don't know how this works we don't have a category for it it's not a story but um, that we dig ourselves into but you need to understand this the people that Jude was writing for this was a really important story in fact he strings uh, they often string this story together as an illustration of what happens when you reject God's authority The angels reject God's word. They don't keep within their bounds and therefore they are kept for eternal judgment. Now, marry this together with the verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires. And see, what happens there is the opposite of Genesis chapter 6 because angelic visitors show up to rescue Lot and the men of the city saw the visitors and sought to consume them for their sexual pleasure. Here's Jude's point. Sin corrupts. It twists. And then it consumes. When the angels rejected God's authority, look what they did. When the people of Sodom and Gomorrah rejected God's authority, Look what they did. It leads to all kinds of twisted and destructive behavior. It corrupts. It defiles. And the false teachers were taking the restraints off and just said, just be who you are. You do, do what you want to do. Follow your natural desires. And Judah's saying, look, When you do that, it will only lead to increasing corruption. Grace should transform. This is what Jesus comes in. He's like, comes into our lives and he says, look, if you go the way that you want to go, if you follow your natural desires, your life will become an utter, twisted, corrupt wreck. And so I've got to come into your life and do some things for you that you could never do for yourself. 
You don't have this in you. I've got to transform you, which means I've got to resist you. And my word will call you to a life of denial, of pain, of resisting and even killing some of your desires. This is what the grace of God has done. Sin corrupts, grace transforms. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God leads to renouncing worldly passions and live a self-controlled, upright, godly lives, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Look, the, the law of God, the commands of God, it restricts our behavior in good ways. It's like an owner's manual to us. You don't just put, you don't read the owner's manual and it says put gasoline in the car and you say, wake up and you're like, I have a desire today to put baby food in my car's gas tank. Well, if you don't restrict that desire, things are going to start breaking. The last thing the false teachers, Jude warns them, They only cared about themselves and they were using God's people for their own gain. Verse 12. They're like hidden reefs at your love feasts. They're kind of under the water. You run against them. Their teaching is going to destroy you. And they feast with you without fear. They're like shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Again, it's a string of three. The first is a reference to Ezekiel 34, that God's the good shepherd, but it's important, right? God's the good shepherd, and this is what he does. He takes all of his riches, and he gives it to his people. Bad shepherds, they look at sheep, and they consume and eat them. He says, that's what they're like. They're waterless clouds. A cloud is meant, its design is to drop water so the earth is nourished, to give away so that others can thrive. They're taking to themselves or they're like fruitless trees in late autumn, like an apple tree that should be giving us something good to eat, but don't. They withhold their sustenance instead of giving it away. You watch the TV, you see forms of this everywhere. The health and wealth prosperity preachers are preying on older women and the poor because they're vulnerable and just desperate for hope you this is what god wants he wants you to give me your last dime so that i can have a private jet you see those who teach the true gospel should follow the ways of jesus who suffered so that we could become rich who became poor so that we could inherit his kingdom who went to the cross who became a slave even to the point of death so that we could be said this children in my household equal with me before the father having all that is mine is now 
yours. That's the way the kingdom, and you can tell false teachers, because they flip that. Give me, give me, give me. Follow teachers who are willing to give you everything to be faithful to God's word. Who are willing to give up everything to be faithful for God's word. Following Jesus will always be unpopular and unprofitable in this life for his people and for his teachers, but popular and profitable in the age to come. It's one thing to make the gospel understandable. We need to do that. We need to work hard at making the gospel understandable, following Jude's example, find some things where people got hooks, help them understand what God's word is saying. But God's word will never be palatable and popular. It's one thing to speak the truth in love. It's another thing to drop the hard truths just to be loved. Now you see the pattern. Let me close with this. Verse 16. These are grumblers and malcontents. They grumble against God in rebellion. They reject his authority. Following their own sinful desire... When they reject God's authority, they're no longer restrained, which leads to selfish ambition. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Let's pray.